Hi guys, my name is Jason. And I am James. And I'm Garrett. And welcome to this Reviewing Romans episode of Small Town Pilgrims Podcast, where we dig deeper into last Sunday's sermon. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome to another episode of Reviewing Romans, which is a podcast that is a part of the Small Town Pilgrims podcast. This is James. Obviously, you've already heard that, and I'm sitting here with Jason, and we hope that you've had an opportunity to go back and listen to the sermon from Reality Church from this previous Sunday uh, through Romans. And so, if just in case you have not, we do want to begin by... Um, quoting the scripture for you. So Jason, if you would go ahead and do that for us. Sure will. Um, Now hear the infallible inspired word of God, Romans 7, 9 through 11. It says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. We pray that God would sanctify us all by his truth, his word is truth, and that the Holy Spirit would illuminate that scripture for you, hopefully through what we talk about today. So now, time for the all-too-awkward question. Uh, Pastor James, what did you think of the sermon? Well, you know, I could just simply say it was good, and I enjoyed it. Um, which is quite honestly what I would love to say, because, um, you know, I thought the sermon was well done. I thought the sermon was well laid out, and I thought you highlighted some very, very important points of the text, as well as some very helpful quotes, uh, especially from the Valley of Vision at the very end of the sermon, which I found was unique, and I was encouraged by your use of that. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed using that in my personal walk with Christ. Uh, here and there, I have moments where I practice using that regularly, and then there's moments where it sits on my bookshelf for a while. Right. Um, but anyway, back to the sermon. Uh, I thought that it went went really well, especially uh, highlighting the idea of substitutionary atonement. And I kind of mentioned this prior to us hitting record, and maybe one day we'll let you guys hear what that kind of sounds like. Probably not. But I was mentioning <laughs> to you, beforehand um you know that's really what stood out to me about the sermon because it's such a crucial doctrine and too often um pastors tend to shy away from highlighting these terms that may seem like intimidating to the flock if they initially hear it yeah but they're actually terms that though they're just speaking of a theology that we can understand and know in our heart without knowing the the term that identifies that doctrine, knowing the terms help us so much in life often. And so the biggest thing I appreciated from the sermon was really the fact that you pointed out this term, you, you said the term, you mentioned it, you defined it. um, And you do this quite often in your sermon. So it's not new, a new aspect of your sermon, there's just something that stood out to me above all else in the sermon itself. Yeah. Uh, now, remind me if I'm wrong. The way you broke up the scripture this time was looking at a future verse first and then going backwards. Was that cor- Is that correct? 
Well, basically what I did was um, I, I laid them out in, in order nine through 11, um, 11 or nine has really two parts, um, you know, about being once alive apart from the law. And then of course the commandment coming in sin coming alive and we, and, and Paul realizes that he is dead. Then in 10, he talked, he talked, he says the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. So he realized that, Hey, it only promises life if I can keep it. And I realize now I can't keep it. Um, and then we go to that, that 11th verse, which I didn't break down as much as I took the spirit of what the verse was saying, especially that, that phrase, the sin seizing an opportunity and, and took that and went forward with something that really was kind of pointed out by uh, Dr. Jones and his, his, his commentary on it, you know, that there's a, there's a misunderstanding of, of the cross and, you know, and where that comes from. So basically I, I kind of went like I've been doing, but then I, I took that, that where we were going was kind of, you know, cyclical, you know, really it's taking the moment before the time before Christ, when you feel like you are alive, really, then you realize because of the law, no, I've been dead all along. I'm dead. That's, that's how it is. I'm, I'm dead. And you realize, okay, the law can't give me life because the, in order for the law to give me life, I've got to keep it. But then we see in that last verse, when sin is seizing an opportunity, the, the absolute deception power that sin has. So it almost goes a full circle back to where we were at the beginning. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To that point of before seeing through the law that I can't keep it. And we see that great deception of covering the cross with love only. And we lose our understanding of what we talk, we've, we've been talking about the substitutionary atonement of Christ on the cross. Yeah. I'm so glad you just said that because it actually reminded me uh, like I do in preparation of recording this podcast, I generally listen to the sermon, you know, two to four times depending on my work schedule. Um, and, you know, as I've said before, two times speed. So you sound like a chipmunk and all mm -hmm. of those things. Um, but I remember the first time, the unique way of doing that is the first time you hear it, something specific stands out. The second, third, fourth time, something different. Um, the first time I listened to it, that's what stood out to me more than anything, was you're highlighting that, yes, God sent Jesus into the world to die upon the cross out of love for those whom he would save. But that is not the primary cause of why he did this. Right. Um, that's crucial um, in modern evangelical circles. Um, and you pointed this out and you said, you know, those songs that we sing may would tell us otherwise. Um, it's this individualism that has infiltrated the church. Um, that is about me and my relationship with Christ and no one else. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then even in that, it's saying that I am more important than God because God loved me. And so therefore I'm worthy. He didn't mm-hmm. want heaven without me. Yep. Um, but in all reality, yes, it was motivated by love. But the primary motivation was for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can't separate the two. It's still important to know the love of God towards his people. Yeah. But often in evangelical circles, we don't have to highlight that, right? Because we got that part down. Yeah. We know that God is loving and gracious and forgiving yes. and merciful. Um, but knowing that God seeks his own above all else is a constant, needs to be a constant reminder for us. Yeah. Because it helps us even understand the difficult moments of life when we don't feel like God loves. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, uh, we get into touchy feely Christianity a lot of times. I feel like, um, because here's the thing if we make the cross only love, if we make God only love, if we make our relationship with God only about love, what happens when I don't feel loved? What happens when, like we've talked about on previous podcasts, the diagnosis comes and I've got cancer or I lose somebody in my family or something doesn't work out the way I wanted it to in life and I'm not feeling that love. What, what happens with my view of God is I lose who he actually is because I've made him only love. Well, this doesn't feel loving. So therefore sometimes my relationship and my own theology will be shaken because I've made the God of my own choosing and he's not doing what I want him to do right now. Mm. Yeah, I agree completely, man. Um, Which actually kind of brings me to my next question. My initial question, since you asked me the first question, this would not be my second question. This would be my initial question. Your first question. Yes. Yes. If you had five to 10 more minutes, now this was a 40 minute sermon. So yeah, 10 more minutes would be a lot of liberty. So maybe five more minutes. Yeah. You had five more minutes to add to the sermon um, through your study and your prep time. Mm -hmm. What is something that you possibly would have desired to highlight a little more, or maybe kind of nail home uh, for the the listener uh, in your congregation? Or, you know, possibly keep in mind that um, though in your prep time, your sermon that you're writing is for your congregation and your congregation alone. That's the only flock that you're going to be held accountable for. But we do have people that could be listening. That's not a part of your congregation, like myself. And so if you could add five more minutes to that sermon for your congregation or for the individual listening on, what would you have said uh, in elaboration of? I think we got to stick with the cross. Um, I would highlight even more, I think, go even more in depth um, in the in those points of what we see in the cross. Um, you know, a, a wrong view of the cross leads us to a wrong view of Christianity. It leads us to a wrong view of God. Um And the reason why I can say that is because I've had the wrong view of the cross for a lot of my Christian life. 
um, until I began to see who God was and I began to read in his word and, you know, and, and I began reforming my Christianity um, through the power of the Holy Spirit. I had a wrong view of the cross, which led me to a lower view of God. So I think if I had five more minutes, it's on the cross. I've got to spend it on the cross, hammering home even more clearly what the substitutionary atonement of Christ is, how our sin was laid upon him, you know, that this is the righteous requirement of the law that there must be a death. There must be blood shed. There must be a spotless lamb. You know, the sinfulness of our sin is, is being shown to us on this cross. And, you know, we have a spotless lamb who is being slain for our sins in front of us. You know, if we would look clearly at what the cross is, you know, and then of course, uh, the thing that is cut out of modern Christianity is that five letter word that everybody thinks is a cuss word about God wrath that we, we in modern Christianity, we don't want to talk about the wrath of God. We want to talk about the love of God. He's loving, but he also must be wrathful. That's right. He is merciful, but he also must be just, you know, he, these are things that are described about him in scripture. So if we look more clearly and, you know, I, I love that verse, um, John one twenty nine when, when John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is a statement of all statements. That is a, a, a extremely powerful statement. And I think if I had those five more minutes, I stay at the cross. Um, yep. I'll never forget. Um, and, and when I was in, we were in the hyper grace movement. Um, I, I, sometimes I have to explain the hyper grace movement. Hyper grace movement means antinomianism. Antinomianism, antinomianism means um, everything's all right. I'm good. I can do whatever I want. Um, diminish the cross, diminish what is done on the cross. I'm equal with God. There's little gods in there, you know, little God syndrome in there, you know, where we are equal with Christ all of those things. But one of the things that happened is I heard it preached from the pulpit. We've got to get up from the cross and leave it behind so that we can live that abundant life that Jesus died to give us. Right. Well, um, I think we need to stay at the foot of the cross every day and see who Christ is. Well, I find it so interesting about that idea of substitute, substitutionary atonement is how that has been twisted by not only people that would object to Christianity, but even individuals that would fall in the, the kind of subgroups of Christianity. Yeah. And they would, as they would equate that the sending of the son into the world to die upon the cross, to be the substitution for those who would trust in him as sovereign or however you want to word that child abuse. Yeah. Um, cosmic child abuse is what yeah, it's cosmic called. Yeah. Cosmic the, child abuse. Yeah. Thank the you. emergent church has, has coined that phrase. Um, yeah. You know, people like Richard Rohr, um, the writer of the shack. Um, what's that? His name, William Paul Young or something like that. Um, all these, all these mystical 
Christians want to call it cosmic child abuse. And that's, um, that's where I was going to say, man, that's such a horrific thing that has come up recently. Yeah. Because what I was going to say that I look back as my time when I was pastoring and preaching regularly, the one thing I wish I would have focused more on when teaching on substitutionary atonement would have been that, and I did this quite often, but I wish I would have done it more often, was focusing on this plan of God was plan A. Yes. So so even in the moment in which Adam and Eve are in the garden, had not sinned yet, have not been tempted by the, the serpent, and then, then Eve tempting Adam to fall, Adam not leading yeah. correctly, all of those things that God in his foreknowledge and forbearance and per- working his perfect will, though not the one in- causing this to happen, the one that permits that permitted this to unfold the way that it did to work out his perfect will yep. knew that Christ would be that, that Christ would be the redeeming blood sacrifice so that people would trust in him. Yeah. And so for me, not talking about your sermon necessarily, but my experience in preaching sermons similar to this, I wish I would have highlighted more of the sovereignty of God and the actual crucifixion of Christ, because yeah. this wasn't accidental. Right. Um, and I've actually preached a sermon since the time that I'm referring to from Romans, and it was on the crucifixion of Christ through John, out of John. Yeah. I said Romans, but it was a sermon from John on the crucifixion of Christ. And the whole point of my sermon was the sovereign king. Yeah. Um, because that's what happens is when you look at everything that happens in the Romans system of crucifixion, God's word already said that this was going to unfold. Right. Um, and one that would rightly understand God being sovereign would say that this wasn't incidental. God didn't look to see how the Romans would do things. Right. That God worked out his perfect will in doing this. Yes. Yeah. And so um, I'm not saying you should add that to your sermon, but just as another pastor talking, I would say that in my time, I think that is a wonderful note when looking at the substitutionary atonement is that it's not cosmic child abuse, right? but it's most definitely the ordained work of God in working out salvation for those who would trust in him. Yeah. And, and, and what's so great, you know, you can't, one, I mean, one book of the Bible that you can't read and not see um, the sovereign ordination of what would happen is Psalms. When it talks about the piercing of the hands and the feet, what was it, four to five hundred years before crucifixion had even been invented, yeah. they, there was already foreshadowing in the Scripture of the foreordination of a brand new type of execution, you know, and cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. You know, those things that are said throughout scripture that are pointing us to, you know, where this is going to go. And, you know, I've, you know, in listening to, you know, different things, reading through different things on this uh, and, and on the crucifixion itself, you know, crucifixion wasn't talked about in homes. It was it was a disgusting thing. So when yeah. it talks about he was made a curse, 
he was made a curse. I mean, it, yeah. they didn't talk about it. Yeah. It's like us putting an electric chair in the middle of our living room. Yeah. And rejoicing in it. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what happened when believers, uh, after the crucifixion of Christ is their hope was found in a instrument of crucifixion, of murder, of yeah. capital punishment. Um, what kind yeah. of, like, and this may not be the best way to say this, but what kind of freak would I be if that in my centerpiece of my home or in a religious building, I had a, an electric chair yeah. as something that pointed to something that I was saying, which was much greater than it was. Um, and this is why it says in Romans that the gospel of Christ, the cross of Christ is folly to those who will not believe. Yeah. Because they're looking at it and they're saying, that's, the, that's, that's awful. We don't talk about this in our society. You know, that's, and, and, you know, it had to be that it had to be. He was made a curse. He took all of our sin upon himself. He endured the full wrath of God in six hours. I mean, he, he undertook the worst and we can't diminish it anymore. Uh, you know, I feel like, you know, I feel like four years of my ministry four and four, four and a half years of my ministry, um, is lost time sometimes because of how, much I diminished the most important thing of the the cross of Christ, the substitutionary atonement of Christ, what he has accomplished for us. And that is the instrument by which grace has come to us, not um, me speaking it into existence or me having a positive confession and all this other junk that, that is, that is worthless and unbiblical it is the cross of Christ and what he has done and, and the, the horror of it, which becomes the beauty to the Christian that, that, that turns us, you know, to him, you know, and, and, and then God drawing us unto himself through an instrument of destruction and seeing beauty because of what Christ has done. And it's, that's a lot different ball game than what I used to preach. That's right. And, you know, it's such an important doctrine for the believer. Uh, it is clearly an important doctrine for the unbeliever, but it's such a crucial doctrine for the believer. Um, because every sermon I preach, um, and I'm actually in the process of just thinking through some things about church life and what churches should look like and what the purpose of the church is. Um, and one big thing that I keep coming back to, and like I said, I end every sermon I preached in this, I did in the special that you released when I preached in your church, is that at the end of the day, the believer, we are to rest in Christ. And what we're resting in is the finished work in his atonement. Um, If it was anyone else sacrificing for us, there would be no rest. There would be no hope. Yeah. Uh, if we were saving ourselves, we would be working our fingers to the bone um, and we would still never obtain it. To never be good enough, yep. So I guess my kind of last statement I would really like to make is that it's a wonderful sermon 
though the words themselves were not necessarily spoken on the audio, could have been elsewhere in the sermon uh, afterwards. But man, it's just a wonderful reminder to rest in Jesus mm-hmm. um, because we're going to mess up. We're going to fail. And it's not a hyper grace movement like you referred to earlier, mm-hmm. but it's rather a right, a rightful understanding of who we are in our sinfulness and depravity. Yeah. And, you know, and I think as, as we continue with Romans, you know, especially when we get to, you know, chapter eight, we begin to see where all of this leads us. You know, the substitutionary atonement of Christ leads us to a point where we rest in him and we understand there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, the, that, that, that joy of knowing that, hey, I rest in a work that is completed. Does that mean I, I, I stop and do nothing and I can do whatever I want? No, that's antinomianism, and that's pretty much unbiblical, unchristian life. We live a life of repentance, of understanding I'm a sinner, I need to repent. But the Bible also tells us that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we rest in him, part of that rest is saying, you know, God, I have messed up. I do things incorrectly sometimes. Forgive me. And understanding that because I'm resting in Christ, the result of that is a sinner, Christian, you are forgiven. And that's a, that's a rest that we can all lean into just a little more in our lives, I think. So, you know, I, you know, and, and of course the, that, that Valley of Vision um, excerpt that I read, you know, brother, nobody writes like that anymore. You know what I mean? Nobody writes like that anymore. Now I am thankful that some of that, has been translated for us. Oh yeah, to a more yeah. modern more, language, more easily understood. Yeah, definitely. Not all of it by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, it's more knowledge, more uh, in our language and our tongue. Yeah, but just the the fervent prayer of those individuals, yeah. man, um, is encouraging. It and is. that's why I was saying earlier. That's why I often come back to it in different seasons because there are some seasons where my prayer life suffers greatly um, primarily due to a desire of knowledge and seeking knowledge. So often I listen to podcasts or sermons or things of that nature, or I'm talking on the phone and just talking to people. And often I forget to just slow down, spend time communicating with God, which then rightly puts me in a position of, receiving um just whatever he is unfolding in my life yeah. um, not a not a verbal word from him by any stretch of the imagination no. <laughs> but it just those are all written kinda, down we can find them that's right they're usually written that's down. right just read them but it does help me kind of center in and yeah. that's where like the valley of vision i mean i don't mm-hmm. know i don't think you listen to him but doctrine and devotion um Joe oh yeah Dorn, doc and devo you better live with this yeah. too they actually, he actually developed a kind of a plan to read through it in your prayer life. And really? I tried, and I really tried it. Um, and I guess I could have done an amended version, but I really think it was like two or three prayers a day 
that you read through and you kind of pray through. Yeah. It was very beneficial, but it was a lot. And so, yeah. um, you know, that's just a reference for anybody out there that has that book. Uh, if not get it, it's really helpful. Yeah. No, I th- I'm, I'm, I'm a doc and Devo kind of guy. I like Joe Thorne, you know, he, uh, you know, when, when you introduced me to the 1689, I don't know if you remember that. That was back when I, man, I was first, I mean, I was, I was you were fresh. Go on me. That's what you were going to do. I, I was, I was fresh reformed at that point. And you, uh, you bumped me off of the, off the Westminster over onto the 1689 and, Honestly, it's the same thing. Yeah, except <laughs> for that one, one little important one. thing. One. Yes. Um, yeah, that's what's funny about it is I was like, man, you should you should look at this because that one little thing. That's the only reason too. Yeah. Um, I love I look I love my Presbyterian brothers, man. They're, They're some, some of my favorite things. writers. <laughs> man, I was funny. I saw a meme the other day. It said my Reformed Baptist friends, um, and it was like a. It was a, a friend's meme is what it was. Yeah, I saw it too. Yep. I was uh, thinking the same thing. It was thing, like, yeah. who do you read? And it's Presbyterians. Who do you listen to? Presbyterians. Who do you listen to? Presbyterians. And what are you? Reformed Baptists. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I got to dunk them. And they got to know what they're doing when I dunk them, you know? That's right. So, but, but, you know, my mentor pastor, he's uh, – he's, straight up Presbyterian baby baptizer, you know, but man, he's, uh, he's very helpful to me. So, you know, I'm, I, 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 I identify because RC, RC was instrumental in me becoming reformed. His, uh, way of showing things was so good to me. So, but yeah. Um, so anything else you want to go over in this one or, Man, I think that's it for me. Uh, I thought it was well done. I'm thoroughly enjoying your walk through Romans. I think it's beneficial um, for the church, especially your church as we yeah. made transitions in life. Um, I thought the sermon was well done. Um, and, you know, just for the listener out there, I, I will say this because I highlighted this and I want to say it is that one or two things are going to happen in your life. Um, unless you're just in high school or college age, it's highly doubt would two like middle-aged men. Um, hopefully I'm not middle-aged cause I'm only 29. So hopefully yeah, I live a little bit longer than, hopefully I'll live longer than 59 and a half. But <laughs> anyway, um, you know, spend time understanding theological terms and what they mean and mm-hmm. teach them to your children. Yes. Um, I, this is something I remember. I'm a youth pastor now, and I said this when I started the process of in, uh, interviewing at this church, and I've said it to the students, is if they can learn like history and trigonometry and chemistry and biology, and they can remember all of this information, then they can remember biblical terms, yeah, theological terms. And the same thing for you in the individual listening. You have an occupation. You have a job. Uh, if you don't, if you don't, and you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, um, you enjoy something. If it be a sport, if it be a, a TV show, if it be music, and you remember all of those things. Yeah. So spend time in like really digging into these truths, um, because they're so instrumental in our lives. 
like, and I hate to go too personal on it because it's not about me, but I mentioned this in my sermon at your church. And so I want to touch on it is that when my grandmother passed away several, about a month ago, a month and a few days ago, um, there was two songs I listened to. I forgot the, I forget the name of that one every time. God we is sung good. it at your church. God is good. Yeah. We sang, we sang it at yep. your church. Uh, modern, I know like the album and I can go to it and I know how it starts off and I can go to it. Uh, the second one is Sovereign by Beautiful Eulogy. And the reason why I listened to that song, God is good, I listen to often, but that one was in particular the one that few days that made me through it is because knowing that God's sovereign mm-hmm. is something we may learn intellectually in our head, but until we have to understand it in our heart, that is something that we don't truly understand. And so knowing in our head what it means for preparing us sovereignly and not no, no pun intended there, God is sovereignly preparing us to make it through whatever circumstances we face in life. And so knowing these terms, knowing these doctrines is so key for our walk with him. So I just want to challenge the listener, really focus in and learn these things. Don't shy away from them. Yeah. Um, listen, let's keep it real. You're in the technically the Caledonia Steens area. Mm-hmm. I'm in Vernon. Um, when I first moved to Vernon, like it's been six years ago now. That's crazy. When I first moved to Vernon six years ago, I did a lot of stats because I was in the middle of replanting a church. And I found out that it was like 40% of the people owned computers. <laughs> and, then, and then from there, it was like 70%. Uh, well, only like high school graduates and then like so often and this ain't nothing terrible about the area but because of these things I often hear around here that I haven't read a book since high school Yeah, which I think is a shame because I remember when I was in high school and I didn't read the books they told me to read then yeah, <laughs> so what they're no saying doubt. is they probably haven't ever read a book fully Yeah, um, and that should not be the case for a believer no. God has worked through so many men in church history yeah. that there's no reason why we shouldn't be pulling into resources to help us. Right. And, you know, and even, and, you know, the big one we hear, well, my only creed is the Bible, you know, <laughs> and that's great. But it sure is nice to have some helpful people to help guide you through the Bible. You know, we don't, we don't give a, a kid like you, you were talking about, we don't give a kid a chemistry book and say, okay, and never teach him anything on it. You know, I'm a teacher myself. You know, I teach fifth grade special education. I can't just write a problem on the board and just expect my kids to do it. You know, I have to walk them through it. You know, that doesn't make mm-hmm. me the master of all math, you know, That's right. um, but it's helpful to my kids for me to give them a perspective that I have on it, you know, so you know, it's good to take those books by people that we can trust and, and do, you know, like you said, dig in, study, yeah. learn something. The, the issue with the mantra of no creed other than the Bible, it's a creed in itself. Yeah, that's true. So, so it's a circular argument that falls apart. It is. it is. It is. All right, man. Well, um, I don't have anything else. If you don't have anything else, um, I would invite uh, any of our listeners go back and if you haven't listened to the sermon, do listen to it. 
Um, got other sermons on there as well. If you if you're hungry to hear some word, you know, in addition to what you're hearing from your local church, guess what? Uh, just because you hear my sermon on a podcast does not make me your pastor. I am not your pastor unless you are sitting in reality church with me on Sunday at 11 a.m. So find yourself a pastor in your town. So because I'm not, I, I, my sermons do not replace the fellowship of the saints. But if you need something in addition to, um, you know, much like what we do here, we're supplement and, and, and supplement your, your walk with that. Maybe there's a point that I make that you can approach with your pastor and you guys could have a, a, a rich conversation about that. Cause I know your pastor would love to hear you ask him a theological question. I know I, I, I love it. Yeah. The only, the only reason um, your sermon should be the primary source of someone's spiritual growth uh, in a church setting right now would be, if they happen to move to a new area that has a COVID restriction and they can't gather. Yep. They that would can't be do the it. only reason yep. that would be the only reason that it would be permissible. Yep. Um, we'll let you, reason, we'll let you pass that time. Yeah. And that I, hopefully not for much longer because hopefully right. that, uh, hopefully that vaccine will help something at least. Yeah. <laughs> something needs to help because, uh, you know, I've got a church full of folks that we've decided we're going to church. So, that's what we're going to be doing. But, uh, you know, we hope that God blessed you with this. Um, feel free to contact us. You know, all of our social media stuff is there. Message us. Our, our email is there. If you have questions or you need to, you need to talk, you've got something going on in your life, we'd love to pray with you if, we, if, if necessary. Um, that's what we live for. We love, we love ministry. We love sharing the gospel and spreading the gospel and praying the gospel. Let me ask you this before we go. On the next episode of Reviewing Romans, will it be the Sunday that Garrett is ordained as an elder of the church or the two weeks? I think weeks? It'll, be the, it'll be the next one after that. I think we've got one more one more Sunday in between. Okay. Uh, but on that Sunday, on that Reviewing Romans, we need to have Garrett with us. I agree. I mean, you can just grill him. I mean, we can ask him the questions that you're going to ask him for ordination yeah. online. For yeah. Everybody to hear. Everybody. And hear him stumble, stumble, stumble through. Yeah. I hear that I can be intimidating sometimes. I hope so. so. This sounds so awesome. <laughs> or we could just make up new questions. That'd be even better. Or we could do it. We could do it before so that like it would be a part of his ordination. If he like, when he fails, then he fails. And you just have to find pop it up else. on the screen. Like put it, put yeah. it on our screen at church. Just play it. Yeah. And then after it's done, be like, have to do anything. Yeah. And then be like, what do y'all think about him now? <laughs> He'd love that. He would love it. All right, dude. Well, we hope God blesses y'all and uh, join us for the next new episode of small town pilgrims. God bless you. for listening to this podcast check out all of our social media the links are in the show notes catch us next time on another episode of small town pilgrims podcast <laughs>